0: Welcome to the evening episode of Honey in the Rock. We hope you've had a great day and we've got a great show ahead for you. Stick with us. This evening's episode is titled The Burden of Tyre. It shall be focused on a study of Isaiah chapter 23. Before we go any further, we begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for thy word and how Lord you Want us to be persevering people? We look at Bible characters and see their perseverance, to see the perseverance of Ruth and saying, "Lord, where you die, I will die." Help us, Father, to have that same perseverance as the as the type of that Gentile bride. Lord, not looking to the left or to the right, but following Your word with all our hearts. Lord, like Rebecca, not even knowing what Lord a, a groom looks like for. Lord, we know that we know in part right now, but it shall come a time where the knowledge of the Lord shall cover the earth as the water covers the seas. So help us to be faithful until that day. In the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Up next, we shall listen to Isaiah chapter
1: 23. Chapter 23. The Burden of Tyre. Howl, ye ships of Tarshish, for it is laid waste, so that there is no house, no entering in. From the land of Kittim it is revealed to them. Be still, ye inhabitants of the isle, thou whom the merchants of Zidon that pass over the sea have replenished. And by great waters the seed of Sihor, the harvest of the river, is her revenue. And she is a mart of nations. Be thou ashamed, O Zidon. For the sea hath spoken, even the strength of the sea, saying, I travail not, nor bring forth children, neither do I nourish up young men, nor bring up virgins. As at the report concerning Egypt, so shall they be sorely pained at the report of Tyre. Pass ye over to Tarshish, howl ye inhabitants of the isle. Is this your joyous city, whose antiquity is of ancient days? Her own feet shall carry her afar off to sojourn, Who hath taken this counsel against Tyre, the crowning city, whose merchants are princes, whose traffickers are the honorable of the earth? The Lord of hosts hath purposed it to stain the pride of all glory and to bring into contempt all the honorable of the earth. Pass through thy land as a river, O daughter of Tarshish. There is no more strength. He stretched out his hand over the sea. He shook the kingdoms. The Lord hath given a commandment against the merchant city, to destroy the strongholds thereof. And he said, Thou shalt no more rejoice, O thou oppressed virgin, daughter of Zidon. Arise, pass over to Kittim. There also shalt thou have no rest. Behold the land of the Chaldeans. This people was not till the Assyrian founded it for them that dwell in the wilderness. They set up the towers thereof, They raised up the palaces thereof, and he brought it to ruin. Howl, ye ships of Tarshish, for your strength is laid waste. And it shall come to pass in that day that Tyre shall be forgotten seventy years, according to the days of one king. After the end of seventy years shall Tyre sing as an harlot. Take an harp. Go about the city, thou harlot that hast been forgotten. Make sweet melody. Sing many songs, that thou mayest be remembered. And it shall come to pass, after the end of seventy years, that the Lord will visit Tyre, and she shall turn to her hire, and shall commit fornication with all the kingdoms of the world upon the face of the earth. And her merchandise and her hire shall be holiness to the Lord. It shall not be treasured nor laid up, for her merchandise shall be for them that dwell before the Lord, to eat sufficiently and for durable clothing.
0: Up next, we shall listen to a sermon by Reverend William Branham titled, Perseverant. This was preached in 1964 on June the 19th. We'll begin a paragraph one up to paragraph 66. I trust you'll find it to be a blessing. Tomorrow morning is the full gospel businessman
2: And I suppose there's a group of them sitting here. It's their breakfast. I speak for them internationally, and frankly, I carry one card in my pocket, and that's the full gospel businessman. They are interdenominational. That's the reason I can have their card is because that uh, I cannot just say I belong to the Assemblies, I belong to United, I belong to the Church of God. Or See that flow throws all what little influence I have to one organization. I believe God's children scattered out everywhere, they're, they're all around. And when I first come over here, of course you know I was a Baptist, and when I come over here amongst the Pentecostal full gospel people enjoying the experience of the new birth and the baptism of the Holy Spirit so forth, I thought, that's what made them Pentecost. I didn't know that it was full of, of little denominations of their own, but they got as many as the Baptists had. So you Baptists understand these primitive Baptists, free will, hard shell, all other different kind. So I come over here, I thought, just Pentecost means one thing. I still believe it. We can't organize Pentecost. It's not an organization, it's an experience. And I think. That's right. So we have little fellowships, groups, and so forth. We shouldn't differ with each other, but with a, just human beings, I think I've talked to many of the leaders and so forth. I don't think it's amongst the leaders. I think it's just somebody gets in, stirs up something. That's as good as Satan wants to do, you see. Just as long as you're firing at one another, you're not firing at him. If we just turn our faces about and go to firing on him, the great church of the living God would come to our colors, Christ would come. <laughs> I believe that. He's waiting for us to do it. And I've tried my best through these 18 years on the field to try to to uh, bring that together, to see all the hearts united as one, all the tents stretched beyond uh, the boundary line. As Brother uh, Grant said not long ago over in Texas, I was uh, having a service with him. And um, he said, Brother Branham, I, I like that idea. I said, you know, it reminds me of a guy that—some uh, neighbors, they all got him some ducks, and, and each one put him in a little puddle in the backyard and put a fence around it. You know, oh, he got to raining and raining—you know how slow Brother Grant can talk? said, the puddle kept rising in each yard until it got so high it got above the fences and said the ducks just swam all around. It <laughs> wasn't fenced off no more. So I think if we can just let the tide of God's blessings rise and rise until we'll all be in the same pond or the same lake. <laughs> after all, we are. It's little creeds and things that separate us. But being children of God, we're all under one family, God. A man had a cornfield once. Another man had a cornfield. The aviator had flowers said, Look at this fellow's corn and that fellow's corn. What nice fields of corn. That corn kept growing and growing until after a while... It reached across the fence and made one big cornfield. So I think that's the way it ought to be. We just, if we grow a little bit, but as long as we're immature, we'll still be fenced off. But when we get matured, there won't be any difference in the field. We'll all be one big field. God grant that day that I'll be able to see it before leaving. Now, remember, tomorrow morning's uh, businessman's breakfast is to be held at the, uh, was it Rimata or Holiday? And the Holiday Inn. And uh, everybody's invited, and I think they'll have tickets there, wh- however they do it. And that uh, full gospel businessman, to you businessmen here, is a fine group of people. Uh, I tell you, I think every full gospel man ought to be in there for fellowship. It's really true. They have some fine things. And as I told them, I speak for them internationally, but whenever they make a denomination out of it, go to draw on a fence. And my card goes back. I, I, I don't want that. I, it's got to be free for everybody. So, you know, Jacob dug a well, and the Philistines drove, run him away from it, and he called it malice. He dug another well, and he called it strife. Then he dug the next well and said there's room for us all. So we're drinking to that well now where there's room for all of us, everybody. Now, everybody feeling good, say amen. amen. That's good. That That sounded good. I like that. Amen. Means so be it. Someone I was preaching one time, there was a boy that belonged to the first Baptist church when I was a missionary Baptist, and I was preaching there was some sister really enjoying it, and she got to crying and shouting. And he was quite a ball player, and he met me a few days after that. He said, I come up to hear you last night, Billy, but said I couldn't do it for all them people saying Amen. And I said, Oh, And uh, he said, that woman sitting over there crying, said, that just got on my nerves so bad. I said, oh, you shouldn't do that. I said, I I don't think. He said, well, I can't imagine heaven being like that. I said, I sure can. (laughs) He said, well, that just made shivers run up my back. I said, if you ever got to heaven, you'd freeze to death if you heard that noisy group up there. (laughs) You're... the. This is the quietest place you ever live. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Because if you go to hell, there'll be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. If you go to heaven, why, even the angels don't stop day and night screaming, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. See? Why, such hallelujahs and amens and praise the Lord. Well, you never heard such, till so you hear that meeting up there. So this is a quiet place. And I always was afraid of anything quiet. It sounds dead. So I, uh, I'm... Not much for dead things. <laughs> uh, so anything without emotion is dead. Scientific research will prove that. Yeah. Anything without emotion. So if your experience hasn't got a little emotion in it, you better bury it and get something that has got some emotion in it. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Right. It's exactly true. Now, we all are love with him, I'm sure, but there is a great cooling off amongst the people. The revival's over. The fires is going out. It's time for something to happen. You know, in the old Roman temple, the Temple of Vesta, when the fires went out, everybody went home. So there was no business done. And I think that's, I'm just not enough Quaker to believe that, that, that it should be that way. Now, I think tonight, I omitted it every night, but I, I like to respect this Word of God because I think it is God's Word and it's Him. It's Him in letter form. The letter itself, uh, uh, it's you have to have the Spirit there to quicken the letter. So now, for respects to this word, let us stand while we read it. Uh, St. Mark, the seventh chapter, and beginning with the twenty-fourth verse, and reading down the thirtieth verse inclusive. You would have your Bible and kind of like to take a text and just a little formal uh, planing maybe of a few seed again tonight to build that faith until the time comes. And when I feel that the spirit is giving that climax, right then every one of you be called to the platform. Don't don't worry, it'll be right then. But until that spirit gets to that place, to where you feel that the people's got it, what's the use of coming up here if you're just walking up here? You walk through uh, Tommy Hicks's line and Tommy Osborne and O. Robertson back and forth through line. It only weakens your faith. That's all. When you come here with a full assurance that you're not walking before your brother or anyone else, you're coming here because the Spirit of God in you has bid you come, something's going to happen. There is nothing to keep you from it. Until then, you're just on a walk, right around. Next minister comes in town, right around. Next minister comes right around. That's no good. There's nothing in a preacher, no more than there is in your husband or your uh, brother or whoever it might be. We're just representatives of his telling you the word. Some of them have different gifts, which the Bible speaks of these gifts. This is all done to vindicate his presence. Now, if it had been me, or you to me, if you can't take one another's word, why, that'd settle it. But God, full of mercy, he sent gifts and confirmation to prove. And just so they were, he's so long-suffering, so gentle and kind that he, he wants no one lost or no one hurt. He wants to be sure that every one of you get in. All right. Now, have you got the Bible's turn? to the seventh chapter of St. Mark, and the twenty-fourth verse. And from thence he rose and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon, and entered into the house, and would, not, would have no man know it, but he could not be hid. For a certain woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him, and came and fell at his feet. And the woman was a Greek, a syrphiopan by nation. And she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. But Jesus said unto her, Let the children be filled, first be filled, for it is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it unto dogs. And she answered and said unto him, Yes, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said unto her, For this saying, Go your way, the devil is gone out of thy daughter. And when she came, was come to her house, she found the devil gone out, and her daughter lay upon the bed. Now, let us pray. With our heads bowed and our hearts, I wonder while we pray how many here like to be remembered in prayer. Or some special something, would you raise your hand? Maybe, Lord, let it be me tonight. Or I have a loved one, let it be them tonight. Our Heavenly Father, thou knowest the needs before we even ask. Jesus taught us that. Your Father knows what you have need of before you ask, but yet we are to ask. When he looked upon the harvest, he was the Lord of the harvest, and he said, The harvest is ripe. The labors are few, pray ye the Lord of the harvest, that he may send labors into his harvest, making himself with man so uh, bound together that uh, he works only through the agency of man. He chose man to work for him. He could have chose the sun to preach the gospel. He could have chose the winds or the trees, the stars, but he chose man bails himself inside, hides himself from the unbeliever, reveals himself to who he will. Lord God, we are here tonight for no other purpose but to see you reveal yourself to us by forgiving the sins that we have committed and and helping us and encouraging saints along the way, saving sinners, calling backsliders uh, back to the Fellowship of the Heavenly Father, and to the Church of Believers, the firstborn. Grant it, Lord. You know what's behind each one of those hands that went up. You know what was beneath it, under the heart. You know their desire. I offer my prayer in their behalf that you'll grant each one of them their desires. My hands was up too, Lord. Grant our request. Bless the reading of thy word. And now, as we take a text, we pray that you'll unfold to us the context that we might know him better. And when we leave here tonight, may we say like those who coming from Emmaus, after he has risen from the dead and they had walked with him all day, talked with him, and yet they didn't know who he was. There's many in this city, Lord, tonight, no doubt has talked to you and walked with you and yet never recognized your presence. But that night when you... When they bid you come in and abide with them, Theopius and his friend, and when you got the door shut and you sat down, you did something just the way you did it before your crucifixion. No other man did it that way. You did it your own way. And by that, they knew you were the resurrected Christ. Quickly, you vanished out of their sights. And with a light heart full of joy, they joined themselves quickly with the rest of the apostles and said, Indeed, he has risen from the dead. And when we leave this building tonight, may we see you come on the scene and do the same things you did before your crucifixion as you promised you would repeat again in the last days. And grant, Lord, that when we leave, we'll go with like they saying, Did not our hearts burn within us? As he talked to us along the way. For we asked it in his name and for his glory. Amen. Be seated. I wish to take just one word or a text tonight, and the word of, I want to take is called perseverance. You might say, Brother Branham, that's a that's a very small word for three or four hundred people sitting here tonight, or whatever there is. I'm a poor uh, judge of, of of audience, and you say that's a very small word. Well, it isn't the the size. It's 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 really what I'm going to say about it. Now, perseverance, according to Webster, it's um, It's to be, uh, it's it's, uh, a word that you're, to be persistent, to, uh, means to be persistent in trying to make a goal, try to, to put something over, try to do something. You are perseverant when you are persistent. Now, all Christians must be persistent. They must be perseverant. And the only way that you're able to, to do this is to first have faith in what you're trying to do. And if you have no faith, you're just jumping at it, then you, you, you can't, cannot be perseverant. But when you really know it's the truth, then there's nothing going to stop you. You are really perseverant then. And man of all ages that's ever been able to do anything and had faith in what they were trying to do were perseverant. For instance, like uh, the what we call the father of our nation, George Washington, uh, he was perseverant uh, when he trying to achieve that victory over the British and cross the icy Delaware. He was perseverant. There was nothing. His soldiers, half of them, didn't even have shoes on their feet. Their feet was wrapped in rags. The wind was blowing, but he had prayed all night. And he had the victory in his heart. And there was no British army or nothing else was going to stop him. Neither could the icy river. He had prayed through. And there was no hindrance going to stop him. He was perseverant and he achieved the task that he was trying to, to do because he had the answer from God. When a man gets his answer from God, there's nothing going to stop him. Most people today, as I will repeat myself from last night, saying they have hope instead of faith. You find people coming on the platform, they're, they're just built up in hopes, but Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence. uh, It's not a myth. It's not imagination. It's something you've got. You've already got it. And you're just as happy with it, that faith that you have, as you would be if you had the substance in your hand. For instance, like this, if I'm starving to death and a loaf of bread costs a quarter, which will will, uh, buy the loaf of bread. Now, when I have the quarter in my hand, I'm just as happy as if it was a loaf of bread because it's the purchase price of the bread. Amen. And when I know in my heart that I have accepted it and I believe that God has given it to me, I'm just as happy with that faith as if I was if I was healed because I'm going to be healed anyhow. Hallelujah. I've got the substance right now. Nobody can take it away from me. I know it's right. And I can be perseverant with that. When God tells something is going to happen, like the visions or something, I've seen tens of thousands of them, and many of you are witnesses. and not one of them has ever failed. And when God says anything, I don't, if he would say tonight, go to the National Cemetery, for I'm going to raise up George Washington in the morning, I'd invite the whole world to come watch it. It's going to happen. God's Word can't fail. He's never failed, and he can't fail. There's one thing God can't do, and that's fail. He cannot fail, and God is his word. Now, Noah was living in a scientific age when they was, perhaps could shoot the moon with radar. Jesus said it was a day like this, as it was in the days of Noah. So will it be in the coming of the Son of Man? Now, we know down in Egypt we see these pyramids. We could not reproduce them today. We have no power to do it. They had a hold of atomic power or some kind of power that built the pyramids. We couldn't put those boulders up there by no means. Neither could we reproduce that sphinx. There's no way of doing it. We don't have the material to make a mummy, uh, embalm a body that looks even natural for thousands of years. We've lost that art, a dye that won't fade out. Many things they had then that we are completely blind of. And they built that pyramid, so setting so center in the earth. No matter where the sun is, there's never a shadow around it. Never a shadow at the pyramid. All the architecture, the, the, the instruments they, they had, is far beyond now. And Noah lived in that intellectual, scientific age. Noah did. And he was a prophet. And the Lord told him that it was going to rain. And after Noah hearing the voice of God being a prophet to the voice of the Lord, word of the Lord comes to his prophet and he knew it was going to rain no matter what anyone else said whether it ever rained and it never had rained before god irrigated the ground with the vegetation with with irrigation from the springs and so forth in the earth there had never been a cloud in the sky but yet noah knew there was coming water from above how's he going to do it he doesn't know but he was so perseverant he went and built an ark according to the a uh, specification that God said for him to build it because he had heard the voice of God and was standing in the presence of God when the voice of God was made manifest to him. Amen. That ought to set this born-again church afar. Amen. Perseverance. I don't care how many critics laugh about it, how many says it can't be so, and they go out there and scientifically prove it. Shoot the radar to the moon and show there is no such a thing as water in the skies. But Noah knew that if God standing in His presence and his, the God that had spoke to him and he was clearly identified that it was God's Word and standing in the presence of God, he was, he was persistent. He would build the ark anyhow. Nobody wanted to help him. He had built it himself. He was persistent because he was know that it was the Word of God, and he built it. I can think of, of how Moses, a great scholar, he was so smart that he could, he could teach the wisdom to the Egyptians. He could teach the teachers. He knew all of the, uh, the theology uh, uh, that the Egyptians knowed and of his Hebrew family. And he was a, a smart, witty man, a great, we were taught he was a military man. But it totally failed. Because one thing, he slew this Egyptian and his education ceased when they accused him then. Will you slay us as you did the Egyptian? Thinking his brethren would understand it. And he, he miserably failed. And that brings me to a thought of this. That's the reason tonight that our systems has failed. That's the reason that we'll never be able to educate people to God. We'll never be able to denominate them to God. We've tried all these systems and they all fail like, fell like the Tower of Babel. And they always will do that. God, the unchanging God, made His decision at the Garden of Eden how He would save man. And when God ever makes a decision, it has to ever remain that way. He cannot change, He cannot get smarter. He's the source of all intelligence. No matter what our science says, if it's against the intelligence or the Word of God, it's contrary. It's not right. I don't care how scientific it can be proved, it's still wrong. God decided he would save a man by the shed blood of an innocent one. They've tried to build cities. They've tried to unite them. They've tried to build towers. Educate him into it, and they get further away all the time. You'll never be able to save man till he comes back to the blood. Amen. That's the only place that God will ever meet a man, not by his intellectuals, not by how smart he is, how many men has made him a priest or a bishop or a state overseer whatever he might be, minister, deacon. That isn't the grounds that God meets a man on. He meets him on the grounds when he's under the shed blood. That's the only place Israel ever was able to meet God to worship was under the shed blood. That's God's provided way. No other way it will work. And under the shed blood, God meets man and stands in the presence of man. Moses, this runaway intellectual, runaway prophet, out on the backside of the desert and marry this beautiful Ethiopian woman and was living, had a child, little Gershom. One day while walking around on the desert, the backside of the desert, an old man of 80 years old looked like was plumb out of use as a minister. But he found a bush that was burning with fire and it did not consume. And he went aside to see what had happened and come into the presence of God and heard the presence of God, heard the voice of God. While he was in his presence on this pillar of fire, was laying in this bush talking to him. Where he was afraid to even go near Egypt, knowing that Pharaoh would take his life, there's nothing going to stop him now. And sometimes when a man gets in the presence of God and hears the voice of God, he does things so radical to the ordinary thinking of people, it sounds ridiculous. The next day now, a man that was afraid to take an army to attack Egypt, all of the slaves there was in Egypt, he's afraid to attack Pharaoh like that. Here he is the next day, 80 years old, beard hanging all the way to his waistline, his bald head shining, a crooked stick in his hand, his wife sitting on a mule with a youngin on her hip, going down with his eyes set up, glorifying God. Where are you going, Moses, going down to Egypt to take over? A one-man invasion. Amen. Why? He had been in the presence of God. Amen. He's seen what God could do with a stick. He didn't know what he could do with an army. He knew what he could do with a stick. Amen. I don't know what he can do by denomination. I know what he can do with one man that will surrender himself completely Amen. to him. Amen. That's all he needs. One person, that's you. Then he's perseverant. Nothing's going to stop him. Moses had come in the presence of God, heard his voice in a, a, a miracle sign. Uh, he knowed he was a consuming fire, and here he is in the pillar of fire back in the bush. All of his education, all of his theology left him, and he knowed one thing. There was a God, and he had his orders. A crooked stick was good enough. Amen. He had been in the presence of God. It don't make any difference how many trained men Egypt had. Any of these things didn't mean a thing to Moses. He had been in the presence of God and he was perseverant. He's going down to take over against shields and trained man by the tens of thousands with a crooked stick in his hand. Stop him if you can. There's nothing can stop him. And he did it. He went out and took over because he was perseverant when he absolutely knew that he would have been in the presence of God and had heard the voice of God out of the presence of God. Amen. Amen. Not only the voice was, but it was a scriptural voice. There's all kinds of voices. Check it with the Word. The voice said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. I made a promise that I would deliver those people. The time is at hand. I've heard their groaning, seen their uh, taskmasters burdening them. And I remember my promise and I've come down to deliver them. And I'm sending you to do it. That's good enough <laughs> he's seen his glory, and away he went. David was very perseverant when he come over to the the armies of Israel, which was standing in a bluff at that time, and uh, across the little creek and over on the other side was the, the Philistine. there was Goliath, the great challenger about twice the size, the height of an ordinary man, 14-inch fingers and a great spear several feet long that could stand there and just pick man on it like that and throw him off, punch him out, pick him up on the spear and throw him off as they come up the hill. And when the enemy knows that he's got the upper hand on you, he likes to brag. So he said, let's not have so much bloodshed. He said, Saul... Let some of your men come over here and fight me. And if I kill him, well, then you serve us. But if he kills me, uh, uh, we'll serve you. See, when the enemy's got that upper hand, and every soldier was just so shaky he could hardly hold his armor up, and Saul, the most able of all of them, head and shoulders above his army, he wouldn't dare touch him. And yet supposed to be the anointed of the Lord. But there come from the wilderness a little stoop-shouldered, ruddy-looking fellow that had a slingshot in his hand. And that giant made his brag before the wrong man. And David said, Do you mean to tell me that you'll let that uncircumcised Philistine stand there and defy the armies of the living God? Do you mean to tell me that you'll do such a thing as that? Now his brother said, now you're naughty, you get back out there at the sheep where you belong. And the news come to Saul. Saul said, bring the lad here, let me look at him. And when he come up, a little stoop, ruddy-looking fellow, standing there probably hair hanging down his eyes. And he said, well, you, you can't fight that man. He said, you're nothing but a little fellow, a little, uh, little ruddy man in your youth. And he's been a warrior since his youth. He said, you can't fight him, I admire your courage, but uh, that's too great. What happened? He said, let me see if you could use my armor. So he put his armor on him, give him his shield. Well, poor little David couldn't stand up. He he, he said he he didn't know nothing about it. He found out that Saul's ecclesiastical vest didn't fit a man of God. So. he said, I'll send him away and get him a schooling, a Ph.D., L.L.D., and so forth, and see what he can do about it. He said, I don't know nothing about these things. Take them off of me. I don't know nothing about this. But here's one thing I do know. I was herding my father's sheep, and a lion came in and got one of them. And I went after him because my father had given me charge to watch those sheep. Amen. And any good shepherd is a watcher of the sheep. Amen. And he said, I don't have nothing but this slingshot in my hand. But I knocked him down. And when he rose up against me, I slew him. And a bear come in and got one. I run after him and tuck it out of his mouth. And when he rose up, I killed him. And said, how much more will God of Israel, God of heaven, deliver that uncircumcised Philistine into my hand. That little fellow was perseverant because he knowed what he was talking about. Amen. He knowed who he had believed and was fully persuaded is able to keep that which he committed to him against the day. Now, he had just a slingshot. That's all he had. He said, I'll go fight the Philistine. Because the reason he was so perseverant, he knowed if God under the care of a sheep had helped him deliver the sheep back to his father, how much more a man. Now, think of that. All ministers, and we feel that way about you sheep tonight. The devil has come and smote you with the disease. That's right. He's tucked you out from the good hell. I, I don't have no PhD. I don't have no LLD. I don't even have a grammar school education. But I know what I do have. Amen. I'm coming after you tonight to bring you back to the shady green pastures Amen. and the still waters. That's what we're on the platform for tonight is to come get you, snatch you out of the hand of the lion out there. bring you back. Be patient, listen close and watch try to find what we're trying to do is try to help you. Now, David was very persistent. Because that he knew who he had believed, and he knew he was able to commit what he committed to him, he is able to keep it. We find out that Samson, another great judge in Israel, and that some people picture Samson as having uh, shoulders about like a barn door. Now, it would be nothing strange about that to see a man who could pick up the gates of Gaza and walk out with it or take a line and pull him apart. But, you know, Samson was just a little bitty, in the street expression, a little shrimp, little bitty old curly-headed, sissified mama's boy. Seven curls. It was a strange thing when they thought that a man, a great big uh, a ten-foot man could pick up a lion, sure, and kill him. But the strange thing was... This little fellow seemed to be helpless until the Spirit of the Lord came on him. It wasn't Samson, it was the Spirit of the Lord. Amen. That's the reason that it wasn't the apostles. Jesus chose them all, practically every one of them, without even enough education to sign their name. He didn't choose priests, He didn't choose theologians, He chose fishermen and herdsmen. The ignorant and unlearned so that he could take that in his hand and take nothing and make something out of it. Amen. That's his nature. So he doesn't take trained schools and trained scholars. He takes something that realizes it's nothing. He gets into it and makes something out of it. We find that this Samson was a Nazirite. He had seven little curls that hung down his back. And when the Spirit of the Lord come on him, he feared nothing. Why? He was persistent as long as he could feel that Nazarite bow with him. As long as he could reach back here and feel those locks, he knew that he was in the will of God and nothing could bind him. The city couldn't bind him. A lion couldn't kill him. He took the jawbone of a mule and hit dry and beat down a thousand Philistines with it. Do you know those helmets, those brass helmets, is over an inch thick? You know what would happen when an old desert dry bone would hit against that? Why, it would burst into a million pieces. But he stood there single-handed with this jawbone of a mule and beating over the head and killed a thousand Philistines. Why, he was persistent. Every time he hit, he felt that Nazarite bow move back upon him. How much ought the church tonight that claims that you're born of the Spirit of God stand in the meeting and see the vindication of the resurrected Jesus Christ and claim to be filled with the Holy Ghost and could sit still and let Satan push you around like he does? The strange thing as long as you can feel the presence of the holy ghost know that it's his word and his promise for this day you should be persistent to present until it's over Perseverant, stay with it god promised it it's not you it's god
0: as we get towards the end of this episode we'll end with a word of prayer heavenly father we pray may your word that you've planted in our hearts be watered by the holy spirit and germinate to everlasting life in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Honey in the Rock, your daily dose of inspiration and encouragement. We hope to continue to earn your viewership throughout the year as we read the Bible from cover to cover. To make this a better listening experience for you, we'd really appreciate your feedback. So please email us at honeyintherock2020 at gmail.com.
3: burden for you They know the deep death of Satan In evil they worship me Having their peculiar doctrines They try to make converts to me But you all find not in the truth they will say but you My, my burden, burden.